Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. So last week, we talked about how do you reconcile um, faith and politics, and thank God I got zero nasty emails. So I don't know if you guys were talking amongst yourselves, but I didn't, I didn't hear any of it. I heard a lot of good feedback, and, and that you know Paul says, ultimately, whether we're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, whatever, that um, our citizenship as Christians supersedes any of that, and that above all else, everyone say above all else, right? We live as citizens of heaven. And, you know, there is the opportunity over the next several months for things to get crazy. But I believe that Avenue Church, uh, that we will be a light even in that season by standing on our faith, not on a political party, right? And so answering another question this week, and um, just to uh, kind of set the stage, there's going to be a lot of scripture um, on this one because I want to make sure I answer it clearly because this is a question that I've wrestled with from time to time in my faith. Um, as I've grown, this has even shifted, is a couple of the questions that I got is, can I lose my salvation? Um, and will God always forgive me of my sin? And I used to think early on, like that was, that was a, a silly question, that you should just live to please God and don't worry about that. But I know depending on what, experience we have, past church experience, denominational, um, maybe family church experience, we could lean on one side of thinking once saved, always saved. We have that camp. And then we also have the camp that you can lose your salvation just for cussing out your mom under your breath. And I know none of you guys have done that, right? Don't look at anybody, okay, especially my kids, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but if we're not careful, we will fall on either one of these ditches, and that's a bad place to be because I've had conversations with people who take God's grace for granted in living the way that they want to or they are underestimating the amount of God's grace and think that they lose their salvation each and every other day, right? And so let's get out of those ditches. And we're gonna start in John chapter three. You probably saw I have my reading glasses up here um, just in case I can't read the passages in my Bible. But go to John chapter three. We're gonna look at several passages here and then we'll jump over to, to uh, Romans and cover several passages there. But I wanna make sure that I clearly articulate from God's word so that it's not Stephen's word, but that it's, it's the word of God going out. And so in John chapter three, uh, verses one through 17, we see this conversation between Jesus and this religious leader, his name's Nicodemus. Uh, and Nicodemus is meeting with Jesus at night. <clears throat> and the reason why he's meeting with Jesus at night is because in some sense he's, he's afraid of his friends. 
He's afraid that his office workers, that the other religious leaders are gonna find out he's having a conversation and they're going to persecute him. So he's having a late night conversation. And he starts out the conversation um, with saying, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us and your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And in verse three, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot enter, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And then this conversation takes place like born again, what does that mean? And Nicodemus is confused because he says, look, I'm a grown man. And, and how is it physically, scientifically, medically possible for a grown man to enter back into his mother's womb and come back out again? <clears throat> and then Jesus begins this this conversation. I'm not, I'm not talking about natural rebirth. I'm talking about supernatural, spiritual rebirth. And that in order to be reborn into the kingdom of God, you have to be born of the spirit. And then he makes this statement that most of us all have memorized because Tim Tebow back in the day had it pasted on his face. And it's John 3, 16. It says, for this is how God loved the world, or we have it memorized for God what? So love the world. We all have it memorized, King James, right? Um, it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But then when we keep going on to verse 17, it says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but what? To save the world through him. And so Jesus is beginning this conversation of salvation with Nicodemus and because they're thinking that they are saved because of their lineage and because of their good acts and following the law. And he's saying, look, that's not what saves you. What saves you is having an understanding of who the son of God is and that this, like the son has been given as a sacrifice, not to judge the world, but to save the world. And so Jesus in his ministry completes his earthly ministry with, with his final sacrifice, and then he is buried and he is raised from the dead, and then he spends 40 days ministering with the apostles, and then when he ascends into heaven, he gives the apostles the job of continuing that work of preaching the gospel, the good news, that, that he is the Messiah. And we just finished looking through the book of Acts on how that took place, and at one point, the apostles are arrested for preaching, and, and, and they're brought into the religious leaders and they're talking about salvation. And this is what Peter says in Acts chapter four, verse 12. He says, there is salvation in no one else. Everyone say no one else. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. <clears throat> so let's look at this word salvation. If we're gonna talk about what we're losing, we need to know what it is we're losing, right? And salvation is probably not a word that you use at the office very often. It's not a word that gets used in your friend group at school. It's, it's, it's not a word that, that we really talk about. It is a church word. Outside the walls of this church, it's probably not used, especially in the context that we use of, of being saved, getting saved, receiving salvation, correct? And so when we look at the literal, like what does salvation mean? Salvation means this, it's, it's being rescued from a dangerous threat or a deadly condition. So when you have been saved, like 
Like if you see someone running across the street, you're gonna, and there's, a, there's an 18-wheeler coming, you're gonna go out and grab them and pull them back in. Guess what you've just done? You have given them salvation in that moment. You have saved them from a deadly threat. Now, if it's your worst enemy, you might let them run on a cross, right? Maybe they'll make it to the other side. Better not, because we're supposed to what? Love our enemies. But in that moment, you have saved them. But what does it mean for a Christian for us to receive salvation to be saved. Let's look at Romans chapter five, verses six through 11. Romans chapter five, verses six through 11. It's a familiar verse. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right with God in in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Another word for condemnation is wrath, depending on what translation you have. He will save us from God's wrath For since in our friendship with God, since it was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. This verse, all these verses explain a few things. One, it explains our condition apart from God, that we are, apart from God, we are sinners, okay? Now, some of this may be very, very practical stuff, and it may not be new, but here's what I never wanna assume in a room, especially in America, that that everyone in the room completely understands church words that we use all the time, salvation, redemption, sanctification. And what I also know is that as we grow in faith, that we gain a deeper understanding and a new revelation on old things based on how and when we hear the word of God. Does that make sense, right? So for those of you in either camp, it is my hope that you will understand God's redemptive work and what salvation means for us and how salvation applies to us. So, so our condition here is apart from God, we are sinners, that it is our sin that keeps us separate from God and that in order to restore a relationship with God at just the right time while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us at just the right time while we were still sinners. In my time as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor, I've had more conversations with people who want to pursue Christ, but they think they have to wait until the right time. And that right time is when they found the right church, when they've started reading the Bible, when they start to understand some of the scripture, then they will give their life to Christ. They think that the right time, they get to set the right time. But the right time is, guess when? Anytime. Now, Paul says today is the day of salvation. So if you're in this room today and you are separated from God and you have not received his salvation because you're waiting on just the right moment, the right moment is any moment. The right moment is right now. He's not waiting on you to get cleaned up so that he can receive you. When he receives you, he cleans you up. 
So it says at just the right time while we were still sinners. That is our condition, that we are separated from God and that salvation comes that we are back into relationship with him. So this is what our salvation is, that we are saved from God's wrath, okay? So we are saved from something. A lot of times we'll use the terminology saved from sin. We're saved from sin. It's not necessarily that we're saved from our sin, but our sin has an eternal consequence, and that is to face God's wrath, which is the most unimaginable thing, to be completely separated from our creator from all eternity. Like it's way worse than waiting on your dad to get home after you've done something that you weren't supposed to do. Like I remember just terrified waiting on dad to get home for mom to tell him so that I was gonna, like, like that consequence, that whooping, that spanking is nothing compared to the consequence and the, and, and, and the wrath that we face when we live separated from God because of our sin. So when we are saved, we are saved from the wrath of God. So we're saved from that, but also it says on the screen that we are saved to a restored relationship with Christ. So it's not just from something, but it's also to something. And I want you to get that. It's not just from your sin, from his wrath, but it's also to a restored relationship to him so that you now belong to him and not just yourself that you are his. Does it make sense? And so we are saved from his wrath to a relationship with him. Past, present, and future sins are covered as a result of that. So how are we saved? All right, let's get real basic. Romans 10, nine through 10 says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved that if you openly declare and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you were made right with God, and it is openly declaring your faith that you were saved. And, and, and we paraphrase this at times, saying believing in your heart, and then what? Confessing with your mouth. You can't just believe in your heart. There has to be a confession that comes out. Like, like people need to know who your allegiance is to. They need to know what you believe in, what you stand for. Jesus makes, amen, Jesus makes this statement. They need to know what you believe for. Jesus makes this statement. He says, if you declare me before men, I'll declare you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. That's, that's how he has it set up. And so we have a responsibility to believe in our heart that Christ died, he rose again for the salvation of our sins, for this, the, the um, redemption of our lives. But then we also have to understand this. So we speak it. Is that, is, is that all that there is? Is it that simple? Yes and no. Do you love it when it's like that? Yes, because Jesus paid the price. Jesus was the sacrifice. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And you've heard me say this before. There is no good, good enough that you can do to earn salvation because the price is too high and our sin is too great. There is nothing good enough. And so let that sink in, let that, because some of us may have grown up in a religious, you know, traditional household where we feel like I gotta be good, I gotta be good before, like there is, salvation was paid for, it is a gift so that we can't brag about it. 
And so when we go on and we look at this, at, at, at this question, can I lose my salvation? Can I lose my salvation? As if it's something that we walk around with in our pocket that we can lose. Um, anybody struggled to keep up with things besides me? Like I was, any, any iPhone users in the house, right? Probably most of the room. I'm not gonna ask my Android users to raise your hand because I don't wanna put you on spot. Um, but for over a decade, I was an Android user. Um, don't judge me. And for the last two or three years, I've switched over to iPhone. And I'm still struggling with how it works. Like Android is just so like easy to use. I'd figured it out. But what I love about the Apple verse is this um, app called Find My Phone. <laughs> I use that as much as I use text messaging <laughs> because I struggle to keep up. I lose stuff. I lose stuff. And, and what I love about it is like when you have all the stuff, you can find all your stuff. Even using a Windows computer, I can find my iPhone, praise God. And I had someone gift me a pair of AirPods last year. And I'm the guy that's walking around the house with one AirPod in. And then I'll set it down somewhere. And then I've lost it. And what I love is that I can go to find my phone and it's like I'm metal detecting around the house and it's showing me like I'm so many feet away. Nope, you're too far. There's an arrow pointing this way and I can find my AirPod and my iPhone and my iPad and even send a signal to it. And, and I want us to understand like our salvation isn't something that can be lost like that. We were just saying that my hope is secured and I want to talk about like, like those of us who are walking in Christ and our sins have been forgiven and we have salvation and have been saved, there is a security that is beyond ourselves. And so when we ask this question, can I lose my salvation? When you look in scripture, um, Jesus never, not never, but rarely answered a question. He always, almost always what did he do? He asked another question. And so when we ask the question, can I lose my salvation? The question I would want to ask is, why are we asking that question? Why are we asking that question? Like, what is it inside you that's, that's causing you to either doubt God or think too highly of yourselves? And most of the time, the reason why we're asking those two questions is, is, is coming from, from a couple of camps. One is because we're afraid that we will sin too much and we will lose our salvation because we sin too much. And, and 1 John 4, 18 says this, and, and what that is, is it's, it's fear of punishment. That, that losing salvation is fear of punishment and then experiencing the wrath of God. But John says this, we fear punishment because we have not fully experienced God's perfect love. And so we're in this camp that I'm gonna sin too much, that God's gonna stop loving me and I'm gonna lose my salvation. Or we come over in this camp and maybe we wanna know like, how far can I go and it be too far, right? <laughs> like how much is too much? And I joke like we asked that as a teenager, but then I know a lot of 40-somethings that is like, how much is too much? How far is too far? And so one of these is, is not having the full understanding of God's love, and the other is taking God's love and grace for granted. And both of those are ditches we need to get out of. And so when we look at, 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 at these things, kind of the central um, component in both of these is dealing with this issue of sin. 
and we go to Romans chapter six, Paul talks about the power that sin no longer has on us. When we have received salvation, we are free from the bondage of sin. Okay, sin is when we do things that are against God's commands, against his best for our lives, against what we know God wants from us, requires of us, wants us to do or not do. When we do the opposite, that is sin. Paul says in Romans chapter six that when we have redemption and we have been saved, we have another option. That before we are saved, pretty much all we know is to do what we want to do. But once we come into an understanding of who Christ is, what he's done, what he wants for our lives, then we know that we have another option. He says this in verse five. He says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our life. We are no longer slaves to sin. So we are no longer bound by sin. We understand that there are consequences to sin. We understand there are consequences that are lasting, that even though our sin is forgiven, there are consequences to it, but we have another option. We get to follow the word of God. We get to follow righteousness. We get to follow the Holy Spirit because we are saved. We have an enlightenment and understanding of that. But, there's another but, it doesn't mean that we will never not sin again. <laughs> and I think this is where we get hung up is, is, is we think, well, once I get saved, I'm never ever gonna sin again. That is not true. And we see this in scripture that even though we have experienced salvation, guys, guess what? We still Sin, I still sin. Don't judge me. Don't judge yourself. We still sin. And we should not allow that to remove the grace that God has imparted in our life. Because we see Paul wrestling with it in, in Romans chapter seven, verse 15. I love this statement that he starts out. He says this in verse 15. I don't really understand myself. Anybody else? <laughs> like, you've been walking this walk of faith and you're doing so good for weeks, months, even years, and then it's just like you, like you throw yourself like, into just some terrible decisions. And then it's like you can't stop. It's like falling down the stairs. Like, you ever done that? Like, once you start falling, you just keep falling. And he says, look, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate, and he has this whole internal dialogue. And in verse 18, he says, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I wanna do what is right, but I can't. I wanna do what is good, but I don't. I don't wanna do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Come on, that's so confusing. That's life sometimes, right? I wanna do what is right, but I don't do it. I don't wanna do what is wrong, but that is what I find myself doing. And then he says this in verse 24. We've all said this before at times. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. I'm just, like, I'm just, I'm just miserable. I'm just a terrible person. Like, and, and in some sense, we take it even another step. I'm a miserable person. How can God continue to love me? How can I still be saved? Because all the things I know I'm supposed to do, I'm not doing those. All the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things that I'm doing. I'm just, I'm, I'm miserable. But Paul has an answer to this. He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Come on, thank God 
The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The answer is in, not in myself, not in my will, in my strength, in my trying. I don't understand myself, so I'm gonna try even harder to understand myself. And I get even more confused. It's not within me, thank God. Who can save me? Not me. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And look, Paul, who we're reading his writings right now, I've not published a book. My sermons definitely aren't in the Bible. I'm thinking if Paul is struggling with sin, we got to understand we're going to struggle with sin. And, and, and one of Jesus' disciples, John, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, if we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He says this, if we claim to have no sin, that's present tense, that's currently, if we say, I have no sin, guess what we just did? Lied. And the last time I checked, guess what lying is? It's a sin. So you just compound the interest right there, right? It's like, I, I, like everything. But it also says this, if we have sin, what are we supposed to do? We confess our sins to him, and it says he is just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So when we receive forgiveness from our sins, the moment we accept Christ into our life and we receive forgiveness, that is forgiveness for all sins past and all sins present and all sins future, but let me add this to it, the sins that we confess because he cannot deal with, within our life, what we don't bring to him. And so if we have sin within our life, as a believer, we will carry it with guilt until we confess it. But then it's dealt with. It is actually already dealt with. But what happens is the enemy wants to tell us the lies that we are our sin. And we're not, we're made righteous and we have been saved from God's wrath, okay? So to have no sin, he says that's, that, that's present. We have salvation from God's wrath from our past, present, and future sins. He will forgive and cleanse us from all wickedness, okay? Let's, let's let that settle, okay? There's grace. If you are following Jesus here today and there is a sin that you're struggling with, and you're, you're trying and you fall down, you're trying and you fall down, as long as you're confessing and bringing, bringing it to him, there is forgiveness. But, everyone say but, <laughs> all right? Paul gets asked this question. He says, well, if God's grace is so great, can we just go on sinning? And I would say this, we should not continue to willingly sin. We should not continue to willingly sin. Like, like if you know that there's something that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing and you continue to do it, that is willingly sinning and that is taking. Paul says this. He says, well, what if we just continue? He said, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us even more and more of his wonderful grace? Well, we'll just keep doing it so we can keep receiving his grace. And he says, no, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? We still sin, but we should not with intent to live our life to sin. Does that make sense? And there's this, there's this odd verse in Hebrews chapter 10. 
It says, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only terrible expectation of God's judgment or God's wrath and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. That's a, that's a hard verse to read to you guys because it's not one we're gonna put on a coffee mug. It's not one we're gonna put on a sign in our office, but this verse is just as much true as the verse that I read that if we confess our sins to him, he is just and righteous to forgive us. So when we look at this, what does this mean? Here's what I, here's what I think according to scripture. Now, I want you to, hopefully you've taken notes, I want you to go back and read these scriptures for yourselves to all my like 80s babies and 90s babies just as Lamar Burton said in Reading Rainbow, don't just take my word for it. Go and read it for yourself. That's what I want you to do. But, but here's what I think. Can you lose your salvation? No. I do not believe that you can lose your salvation. You can't misplace it. You couldn't do anything bad enough to not receive salvation. And if God's love is so great and he's so good, why would he give it to us to begin with if we're so bad? Why would he take it away if we're still broken, right? But here's what I do think. I think you can reject his goodness. I think you can reject that and remove yourself. I think you can be living for God and completely turn away and reject that. And then you are, you, he is not removing his grace from your life you are removing his grace from your life. There's a young lady that I know, and this, and, and this verse in Hebrew is really speaking to not just sin in general, but it's speaking about taking God's Christ sacrifice and then going back under the old law because he's speaking to Jewish believers who have accepted Christ, but they've decided Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough, so they go back into the old traditional sacrifices and all these things. And, and I know a young lady and this, I, I don't know how someone could do this and that she went on every mission trip that we ever went on. She was a part of our church internships. She spoke at youth group at times. She prayed for people. She, for all accounts, like she was a, one of the most devout Christians I saw as a teenager. And then she went to college. And it wasn't that she lived the party life. It wasn't that she pursued all these sinful things. But she got real curious about um, Judaism. And she started digging and she started reading and she started pursuing. She started asking questions. And she allowed herself to be fooled. And she has completely rejected salvation from Christ and is now completely following Judaism. Doesn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Believes he was a rebel that started a rebellion against the Roman Empire. Now, do I think that she is walking out of the will of God and the grace of God at this point? I can't judge someone's heart, but I can judge kind of the actions. Um, and what we wanna do when we see things like that is, is we wanna try to figure out what's going on in their world. But really what we need to do is we need to look and see what's going on in our world. 
And, and I wanna end with a story from Luke chapter 15. Um, Jesus is, is eating, he's at a party with all these sinners and tax collectors and drunks and all these people that the religious people would not sit around the table and eat with. And the disciples are like, why do you spend your time eating with these people? Don't you know they're sinners? And, and he doesn't give them a flat out answer because I'm the son of God. Like he, he tells them stories. Jesus is always asking questions and he's telling stories. He tells the story of the lost sheep. He tells the story of the lost coins. And then he ends with the story of the prodigal son. And it's, it's, it's a familiar story and we go to Luke chapter 15. We see that there's this young man and his father is a rich guy and he has an inheritance from his father because his father is rich and he wakes up one morning and, and, and I kind of picture it, dad's, dad's asleep and the, the son comes in, the youngest son comes in and, and wakes him up and it's like, hey dad, everything that is supposed to be mine, can I have it now? Like I, I, I want all your blessings I want all my inheritance. I want it now. And it says, you know the story. What he, what he did is that a few days later, the younger son packed up all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. And it says about that time there was a famine and he ran out of money and he ran out of food and so he got a job working at a pig farm and he's feeding slop to the pigs and he's looking down and it's like, that even looks good to eat. Like I have nothing and I, I could eat that right now. And then he, he makes this statement in verse 17. He says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your servant. In verse 20 says, so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And he said, father, I've sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robes, put it on him, give him a ring on his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf, we must celebrate with a feast. This story one day just kind of resonated with me when it comes to those of us who have accepted Christ and maybe have walked away and we use the term today backslidden. It's not a term that we see in the New Testament, but we've used that term. And it's like they used to go to church, they used to be on fire and, 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 and now they're not. And so there's a couple of debates. Well, were they ever really saved? We can never know that. We, we don't know the condition. Only you and God know the condition of your heart. But when we look at this story, it says that the son was a part of the father's family, received the blessings because he was a son of the father. But then he took those blessings and he left the house and he went out and squandered it. And then one day it just hit me, look, just because the son's out of the house doesn't mean he's out of the family. He was still a part of the family. And he had a moment to where he came to himself and he went back home because here's what I know happens. When you experience the Father's love, when you've truly experienced the Father's love, no matter how far you get away from the house, there's gonna come a point where you're missing the Father's love. And God's gonna use those moments of famine, of lack. He's gonna use those moments to bring you back into the Father's house. And the Father's not gonna be waiting on the door with his arms crossed. It's like, what are you doing here? 
what did you do with what I gave you? This is a picture of what our father's like. He's waiting with arms open to embrace us. And so some of you may be in this room, like, like you've been the prodigal wondering, can I even come home? Have I sinned too much to even come home? Have I lost my salvation? Can I even come home? Our salvation is not in our works, our good deeds, and even the bad things that we don't do. Our salvation, and we said this earlier, our hope is securely found in Jesus and in him alone. And so it's my hope that if that is your question, is like, can I lose? I don't think you can, but I think you can fully reject it. And if you're walking away from God, the only thing that he's waiting on you is to come back. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna pray for those of you today that maybe you've had that question. And I thought about even this morning that, that like what happens in the story, this is a what if, what if the son comes home, the father receives him back and the son lives there under the father's covering, under the father's blessing for weeks, months, or years, and he gets tired, gets bored, gets distracted, and then he leaves the house again. Will the father accept him if he wants to come back? And then I think about Jesus answering the question to Peter, if someone sins against me, do I forgive them seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven, but seven times 70. And that is true for us. And so if you're here today and you're apart from the father's house and out of relationship with him, you're not waiting on yourself to get cleaned up. He's not waiting on you. It's any time. Now is the right time to come back in relationship with him. And if that's you today, I wanna pray for you. And I'm gonna ask you to do this. It's just to simply raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying for and to acknowledge that you are not where you're supposed to be, but that there is a path laid for you to get back to where you're supposed to be. And that God still loves you now just as much as he, then, as he did then, as much as he will in the future. So Father, I come to you this morning. I thank you for your word. God, that your word is powerful enough to answer our hard questions. And even when we get answers, there may be more questions, but it's, it's living in relationship with you, trusting your grace and your love and your compassion and helping us understand that we are still living in this body of sin, that you are still working in us into perfection on the day of completion at Christ's return. And so God, for those that raise their hand today that feel like they are out of the Father's house, that they have taken this gift they've received and they've squandered it and they've wondered, can they come back? And the resounding answer to that in your word is yes, and that you're waiting for them to come back. The blessings are still there. And so God, I pray that, that the guilt and shame they feel right now would be just replaced by an overwhelming sense of love and acceptance, not of their sin, because that has been dealt with. And there's still consequences because of it, but you have saved us from the eternal wrath. And so God, I just pray right now that they would experience your unconditional love and forgiveness once again in knowing who they are in you and walk in the confidence that we are secure in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone says... Amen. Amen.